Hey everyone, how you doing? This is Amon Green, Green Bay Packers all-time leading rusher, and you're listening to The Average Cheese, hosted by Dell and Todd, two lifelong Packer fans talking about their favorite team, the 13-time champion, Green Bay Packers. Go Pack Go! So welcome to episode 55 of the Irish Cheese Podcast. I'm Dale Lobel. Peter Jones is with me tonight. Todd is taking the night off, so we hope to see him again in episode 56, where I will make fun of whatever least favorite Packer he has. <laughs> <laughs> I always try to do that. It's finally become part of the show. It is the Mike Hunt version of the average cheese. You really got to be careful when you say that. That could come out poorly if you put the emphasis on other places. Peter, you know anything about Mike? I was was going to say that's that's nearly a swear jar moment in itself. It is. But I said it correctly. And don't forget, you swear for. Oh, yeah, we swear. So this is your first time listening to the average cheese because you're listening to the Jamie cheese, butt part of our show, we swear for habitat for humanity. Peter does not swear. He is the Yang or yin Yang. I don't know. He's one of the other sides because I cuss. He doesn't. It's perfect. It's perfect synergy. Like Todd said, every time I cuss, I will drop a quarter in the jar for habitat for humanity. Every time you listen. So you listen to this show, you're listening right now. That is another penny in the jar. Cause every cent of ad revenue that we get, we give to habitat also. And we'll talk a little bit about another venture we're going to have later that will make even more money for Habitat. So thank you for reminding me, Peter. Appreciate that. (laughs) Fantastic. So episode 55, like you say, lots of Packers have worn 55, lots of linebackers especially. But we're doing Michael Hunt, who played for the Packers. Very short career. Three years, I think, 78 to, to 80. Played pretty much every game, I think, in 78. And he did play every game and started in in 78. And then his career was brought to a pretty much a sudden end. He had knee injuries in 79. He only ended up playing three games and similar situation in 1980. And concussions and, and all sorts of his you know, career was ended between the 81 and 82 seasons, I think, because of those concussions. So there isn't too much to say about Michael Hunt, I guess, one of the other players that immediately comes to mind, other than Zadarius Smith, is is Bernardo Harris, who also wore 55. And Harris, of course, played for the Packers in the, I guess, the mid-90s through to about 2000, 2001, 2000, I think, five, six seasons. And, of course, was part of that 96 Super Bowl winning team, although he was a backup then. I think he became the starter in 97. He was a solid player for half a decade. You know, when the Packers had inside linebackers that could... Make the odd play. play. Having said that, I think we might talk about one when we review yesterday's game a little bit. Absolutely. You know, it's very interesting. So first of all, Packers by the numbers. If you have never been there as a Packer fan, you should go because it's pretty awesome to look at all these Packers throughout history to see like who's played at what position, wearing what number. It is interesting to me, and maybe I've said this before. That, you know, for a franchise that's been around for as long as the Packers, you would think that every number would have a great player. 
but we've come across like a lot in the fifties. Apparently the Packers have not had good linebacking for the, almost the entire history of the franchise because all these 50 numbers are like, who, who are these guys like Desmond Bishop? Okay. Desmond Bishop wasn't bad, but no hall of famer, no, you know, multiple time, all pro at some positions. And I think that's kind of interesting. 55. Yeah. Michael yeah, Hunt I, or whoever you want it to be. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I guess just picking up on that point, I guess some of the great linebackers in Packer history, Ray Nitschke's 66, Leroy Caffey 60, Dave Robinson 89. So I guess those numbers are spread out. But like you say, not so many in the 50s. John Anderson, probably the best, 59. Odd. It is strange. And then there'll be other numbers where multiple players have, have worn those numbers and been stars. Lot, lots in the 80s. Obviously, a good point. When we get to the 80s, it's going to be tougher to figure out who we're going to pick. I mean, some numbers are going to be easy, like 80, right? That'll be easy one, at least for me. Well, maybe not. Is it James Lofton? No, let's James get Lofton, to it when we right? get to it. Lofton, it should be Lofton because we're, you know, the, the, 80s Lofton, that we are. It's the Lofton driver episode. Let's, yeah, let's call it that. Exactly. So when we get to 80, we can have that debate then. So let's move on. So if you're listening again for the first time, the little things we talk about in the beginning are called slices, which goes along with our average cheese name. Uh, I just want to let everyone in the world know that Dale is still in first place. Or for, he's now in first place of the average cheese pick em. And Peter's going to get in like two weeks from now and then overtake me in first place. But that's cool. I'm still giving you that head start. And I need it. I need it. I was better this week than I was last week, though. So I'm feeling pretty good about myself. I am feeling myself. I'm very excited. Um, this weekend, I interviewed Jamie Cheesebutt. That was a really good time. That will air on this episode. Be probably in between reviewing the Lions and previewing the 49ers. So we'll put it in the middle. So if you're listening again, because she's going to be on, we appreciate that. We're going to be doing a shoe raffle. So as I said, we're going to do another venture. That venture is another shoe raffle. Last year, we raffled off Packer shoes that were done by Dwight from ddgcustoms.com. We will do that again this year, except like I said on previous episodes, it'll be your size. So when you donate that $5 to the charity of our choice, Habitat for Humanity, it will actually be your, you can actually wear them and they'll fit you. They won't be clown shoes. We'll put those details out next week on our Twitter. If you don't know what our Twitter is, it is at avgcheese. And if you want to email us, avgcheese at gmail.com. I'm sorry I didn't say that stuff before. So that was a fun interview. I'm sure we'll talk to her again. Uh, she's great. So big Packer news, Peter, recently in the last couple hours. So today is Tuesday. Jay Sternberger, no longer a Green Bay Packer. What are your thoughts on that? Mildly surprised. I had made the assumption, I guess, that, that once they'd put him on the reserve suspended list, that after week two, that they would activate him and find, and find a way of doing that. I guess part of that is that you generally get to week two and somebody else is injured, an offensive, or one of the receivers is injured or one of the tight ends is injured, badly enough for them to go on IR and free up that roster spot, and that didn't happen. Having said all of that, if the Packers wanted to find a way of getting him on the roster, they would have done. I guess they've made the decision that now's the time to move on. It's sad. You know, his, his little bit of time with the Packers, the couple of years was kind of blighted with injury and and that kind of thing. I don't think he ever got, not through anybody's fault, but he never got a full shot really at winning the job. Having said that, in his limited opportunities, he never showed too much. 
but of course we didn't see practice, so we may have been showing a lot more in, in practice. So I think it seems like a sensible decision to move on, but it's but it's also just a, a little bit sad or disappointing, obviously for the player. And you hope that he gets an opportunity somewhere else, as long as it's not an opportunity that comes back to bite you in the years to come. It's a position that the Packers have got four solid players at and different types, you know, with, with Mercedes Lewis and, and Tunyon and DeGuara and Dominic Daphne. So you've almost got four different players there. So it seems like the sensible decision for everybody all round, just, just a little bit sad. You know, it's kind of interesting because DeGuara is in the concussion protocol. He is. So it would have it would have made sense to bring him back to the roster and put DeGuara on IR or something. I don't know how bad DeGuara's concussion is, but it just seems with DeGuara being hurt that cutting Sternberger is a little bit of a surprise, at least the timing of it. Now, again, yeah. I said way back he should have been cut. So just, you know, just saying. If you look at the tight end group right now, what role does Sternberger have where is he better than the guys on the roster? Robert Tanyan is the guy that catches balls. Sternberger's not better than him. He's definitely not a better blocker than Mercedes Lewis, and he can't go in motion like Daphne and Naguara. So where is he? Where does he belong? And I, I guess he doesn't belong, and that's why the Packers cut him today. Teddy Bridgewater set a record. Teddy Bridgewater, who was rumored to be a Packer at some point where they're going to trade Aaron Rodgers for Teddy Bridgewater and a pair of socks or whatever, his record, and it's shared with our own Aaron Rodgers. Teddy Bridgewater completed 75% of his passes in the first two games and throw no interceptions in the first two games. That is the record that he tied with Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees, and Jeff George. Who That <laughs> really surprises me. Drew Brees, okay. Aaron Rodgers, okay. But Jeff George was throwing it to the wrong team for his entire career. That's probably the best two-game stretch Almost. he ever had. That is a blast past them. Yeah, Jeff George, one of the strongest arm quarterbacks you'd ever see. Had a yeah. fantastic arm to Jeff George, but like you say, was let's just say he was in, he was inconsistent about which colored jersey he, he throw threw, it to? threw the ball to. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and that might be because he ended up playing for so many teams he couldn't, he couldn't remember, remember what team. <laughs> <laughs> what team am I playing for? <laughs> and looked down at his own jersey before he threw the ball half the time. He was with, oh, I'm with the Raiders right now. Okay, guess I'll throw it to them. Getting back to Teddy, I mean, he's one of those quarterbacks that difficult to imagine being a team and saying, I don't want Teddy Bridgewater on my roster, right? He might not be your starter. Now, obviously, in this instance, he started well for the Denver, but, you know, he played solidly for Carolina last year. You know, it's not a guy that typically is going to light up, light things up for 400 yards and six touchdowns every week, not who he is, but he's a solid quarterback that you can win with. It's just been one of those, I guess, a career blighted by that serious knee injury that he had in his third season, you know, and it's almost taken him three or four years to come back from that. Not just the injury itself, but he ends up, you know, as a backup in in New Orleans and and then moves to Carolina and what have you. But yeah, I mean, I is a guy that keeps getting mentioned in potential Aaron Rodgers trades to to Denver. So Teddy Bridgewater was four and eleven with Carolina, but if you take that year out. He's won a significant amount of the games he's been the starting quarterback in. He is a good player. It's too bad that he was injured. I, I'm with you 100% because who knows what he would have done. He certainly wouldn't be traveling from team to team to team as a quasi-starter sort of backup. I think he is a starter in the NFL, especially if he's not with that beat-up knee that he has. So, yeah, good for him. I'm a little concerned 
not only with our Packers, but I'm concerned that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who I thought were just going to get old, are better than they were last year. And certainly on the on the showing of the first couple of weeks, they look very, very good. They look like the best team in football right now. It's difficult to look at that team when you see them on the field and, and find too many weaknesses. They're a very solid football team starting with very solid play at the quarterback position. Well, whatever we might think, you know, the receivers are strong. The defense defense is strong. It's a solid all-round football team. The only thing that you hope is that teams that start fast at some point during the season typically have a time where they have two or three weeks where it doesn't go so well. And you hope, as a biased Packers fan, you hope that that happens to the Bucks somewhere around week 12. Even if they head into the playoffs, they head into the playoffs where they're playing not as well as they were at the beginning of the season. Everybody wants to start well. Everybody wants to get out to a 6-0 six and, six and oh start. And, but sometimes it's those teams that start slowly, take the 2010 Packers, those teams that start slowly, that hit their peak at the right time. Long way to go. 2-0 and oh does not a season make, but certainly they look good right now. Yeah, they really do. When you have a team where you don't have to score 40 every week to win, that's scary. Brady has a bad game or whoever, you know, they can't run the ball. If you don't have a running game, but you still have your defense to back you up, that's a, a team that you always have to be worried about. And, I, you know, we'll talk about it with the Packers, and I think it's kind of the antithesis of what the Packers are right now. But it's something we can talk about. But let, here's to the Bucks going 12-0. and 0, and then going 12 and five and <laughs> shitting on themselves on the way to the playoffs, losing to a team they shouldn't. That's what I'm hoping for. Not going to lie. Let's talk a little bit about Packers Lions, which was last night. Said it on Twitter and it concerned me. You know, everybody was concerned after week one, of course. It was a brutal loss. And then you couple that brutal loss with Carolina kind of beating up on the Saints in week two. You start to think, wow. Are we that bad? Because it really came down to earth for the Saints. They look like the team I thought the Packers were going to play in week one. While I think Jameis Winston is a good player, again, he's always been careless with the football, except week one against the Green Bay Packers. I thought in week two, we had to come out and smash Detroit in the mouth as a statement game. And yes, it's early. You just said that, and I'm with you. But I really felt like if this was one of those games that we squeak out at the end, the wheels start to fall off a little bit, especially when you think you're going to win a Super Bowl. I don't know that they smashed the Lions. The score was not close. Did the Packers smash the Lions on Monday night? No. No, 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 they didn't. I mean, the Lions, and this is what worried us last when we talked about this game last week, was that the Lions would keep it close. And I guess they did keep it close until they went for it on that fourth down play in the third quarter and that was a pivotal play and I understand them going for it I don't, I don't it, it's not a knock on them but if they'd kicked that field goal gone to 21-20 a point behind I think the game would have stayed could have stayed close let's just say that so it felt like not just did they didn't get the points but it felt like a huge momentum change at that point of the game it was a close game certainly for two and a half quarters I'm a bit like you it's like you watch the Packers against the Saints last week and then you saw the Saints this week against the Panthers. They look like a different team. And I think you just end up asking yourself, probably quite rightly, and you can ask this question about a lot of teams at this stage of the season, because there's lots of one-on-one teams at this stage, is who are 
the 2021 New Orleans Saints? Who are the 2021 Green Bay Packers? And we can't answer those questions right now. Offensively, what made you happy? They got the running game going. Interestingly enough, the first time the Packers went down to score their first touchdown, so the equalizing score at 7-7, you know, the Packers mixed up the run, the run and pass on that drive. The running game got going. We saw Jones score on, I don't know what you want to call that place, the tap pass, you know, but we talked about not seeing any of that stuff last week. So it, that was that was good to see. And then what was interesting on the second Packers drive, they all it felt like they'd given up on the run already because they hardly ran the ball on their second drive, didn't score. And you thought, hmm, come on, guys, we could we could see a little bit what's going on here. When you mix it up, when you get the running game going, you can move the football. When you end up in pass, 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 punt, you're not doing so great. But they went back to that mixing up the running and the, and, and the passing game and one definitely set up the other. Rodgers was obviously a lot sharper. That's helped by getting the running game going. You start to see receivers get open. Devontae Adams was obviously more influential this week than he was last week. So I think that there's a lot to be happier about, obviously, on offense this week. He scored 35 points as compared to three. Let's not jump ahead of ourselves and think that this was a complete offensive performance because I, I don't yet believe it was. They were, a, they were playing the Detroit Lions, and B, I think there's still some stuff to work on. But certainly... Across the board, offensive line as well, generally speaking. Offensively, the Packers were obviously a lot better this week than last week. When we talked about it last week, I said the Packers should pass, 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 with Jeff Okuda being out. But then you look at the defense that Detroit was playing, and then it's like you should run, 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 run against that cover too. So it was nice to see the Packers do what was there rather than force what isn't there. And that makes me happy. When you are not stubborn with your play calling, Mike McCarthy would run the same plays against any team, no matter what defense they were playing. It was nice to see LaFleur not do that last night. So when they were running the ball early, they needed to run the ball early, and that softened them up. They had to start changing things. They got away from their cover two, and the Packers went over the top on them. So it was opportunistic and I think that was my favorite part of the game was that they took what was there and it worked it felt like they could have scored on almost every drive so I was really happy to see the offense come around yeah it did and like you say when they did throw deep when they ran those nine routes to to MVS and and they didn't hit any of those I think to MVS they hit the one to Devontae Adams down the right sideline any one of those could have been a score so whilst it's disappointing they didn't complete the pass Rogers overthrew MVS at least a couple of times on those. It was actually the right play call and was the right, almost perfect execution on on those because like it softened the lines up. They brought those safeties up. MVS was basically in man coverage one-on-one a couple of times. He's absolutely like that. And that was good to see. The other thing I liked, there were a couple of plays and they came much later in the game to Bobby Tonyan, Robert Tonyan, <laughs> down the seam. And you very rarely, even in recent years, see the Packers throw too much down the seam. So there's one that Tunyon caught for, I think it was about 25 yards down the seam there. And then there was another one, similar type play, where he got the pass interference. Very rare that certainly in Aaron Rodgers' time as a Packer, for all his greatness, that they run too many plays over the middle or down that seam, stretching the field that way. So so that I was really 
pleased to see that. That pass that he threw into Tunyon was fantastic. And it seemed to go through about three three guys and straight in there. I mean, that was vintage Aaron Rodgers. And so that was really good to see. Lots to be happier about. A couple of things from what you said. The pass that he threw to Tanyan was bananas. I yeah. know that I am Mr. <laughs> Superlative sometimes when it comes to Aaron Rodgers, but I don't know who can make that throw other than Aaron Rodgers. That ball was in the smallest of windows. You shouldn't even throw that ball if you're not yeah. Aaron Rodgers, to be honest. Yeah. That was a crazy good pass. And the yeah. ball, the long ball to Adams, it couldn't have been thrown any better than that. We're so spoiled watching Aaron Rodgers throw a football. That said, was he trying to miss MVS all night on purpose? (laughs) (laughs) He had five incompletions and four of them were to MVS. (laughs) The one pass he threw at MVS in the end zone, no one could have caught that ball. It was a terrible pass. I think he texted Todd twice. I'm like, what is he doing to MVS? Is he trying to get MVS caught right now? It was really kind of strange to see that. The other thing I want to mention before we move on is we know he's a smart player. He threw Tanyan into that one passer interference play. He threw it in a direction where the defender had his back to the football and Tanyan ran over the top of the defender because that's where Rodgers threw the ball. I believe that was an Aaron Rodgers play and he made that penalty. He forced it into existence. I thought that was genius. The offensive line. I think when your offense is as good as it was this week, it wasn't perfect. Let's not get too carried away with it. This wasn't a four or 500 yard day, but it was a very solid 300 plus yard day. But when you have that kind of day, the offensive line typically has played well. And I thought they did. There was one or two. Again, I thought Royce Newman struggled a bit. I guess we'll come to the the bad stuff, but I thought that Myers was good. I thought John Runyon had a good game. Yes, there was one sack. Absolutely. But Runyon was was good in his first start. So I thought the offensive line as a unit just looked more together than it did a week ago. Yeah, always, they did give up three sacks in this game. Yeah. And, and always bearing in mind, you have to remember who who the opposition is. And we, we don't yet know, you know, when we get later into the season, we'll know whether this is a really bad Lions team who you should be should be beaten up on or whether actually this turns out to be a half-decent Lions team and this will turn out to be a better win than we feel that it necessarily is today. You know, if we look at the bad, you know, yes, they ran the football, and on some plays it was very effective, but I don't know what the yards for carry average was, but it maybe it's in the threes somewhere. So it's not like they ran for five yards of carry. I mean, Jones was 17 for 67. Okay, that's four, almost four yards of carry, like 3.9. But A.J. Dillon, five for 18. Kylan Hill, two for eight. I mean, it's okay. It's fine. Yeah, and I think it's one of those where it was just enough. It was just good enough. Like you said earlier, bring those bring those safeties up. It wasn't like they were running at two yards a carry. If you get to three and a half, 3.8, 3.9, it's not ideal, but it's just enough. Typically, what happens in that situation, then you break off a 40-yarder. And all of a sudden, that 3.9 yards of carry is 4.3 yards of carry, simply because you've had one big play. It was solid without being probably any more than that. It was enough. So let's move on to the defensive side, which was had good for a half and not very good for another half. I felt like they made some adjustments. 
I agree with you 100% that the turning point was when the Lions did not make it on fourth down. I felt like it was a momentum changer, and they were still moving the ball relatively well. Jared Goff looked like Lamar Jackson on a couple plays, only in like half speed, but he was still able to run for almost 30 yards in that one play. That was really, it looked like that really old guy. Have you ever seen that on like social media or like like the 90 year old guy running for a touchdown? That was Jared Goff. Yeah, he's so slow, so embarrassingly slow. They played okay. They started to figure things out. Let's talk about the, I think the best player in the field last night was Devondre Campbell. He really had a nice game for the Packers. And as much as I said, you know, I'm not sure he's been on a bunch of teams, 13 tackles and an interception. My gosh, if he does that every week, we're going to be doing cartwheels and backflips over this guy. He was all over the place. And that's exactly what we want him to see. And, you know, he got he got beat for the touchdown, which was a perfect throw, absolutely perfect throw. Right. But, 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 but again, I would say this again. It'd be a heck of a coverage to expect your your middle linebacker, your inside linebacker, to be covering TJ Hawkinson down the field. That's just a mismatch. And to be fair to Campbell, he was right there. It's just the throw was absolutely perfect. Campbell was all over the field. And I think the main thing was he was very solid. So even when the, the completion was made in front of him, that he made he was making the tackle straight away. Four or five yard dump off passes over the middle weren't becoming 15 yard passes over the middle. Again, time's going to tell what he turns out to be, but it's certainly at this stage very, very promising and hopefully, you know, a step up from what we've seen in the last two or three seasons. I'm kind of going off script here, but there were a lot of four man lines in this game. I know the Packers play the three, four, but if you consider those two linebackers, linemen, like there was a lot of times where there was guys up front. There wasn't somebody covering the nose. You know, Clark was in what they call it the three technique or whatever, where he was yeah. off as a basically a defensive tackle. I think that is the way the Packers should play defense. I've said this a billion times on our show. Kenny Clark, Kingsley, Kiki, both defensive tackles. I think they are better suited to play off the nose where they can move around a little bit. And I hope to see more of that. And I would agree with that, especially when you've got two outside guys. Now, Zadarius Smith didn't play last night, but if you've got the two Smiths as outside guys who are predominantly pass rushers, and I know they've used Preston Smith in all kinds of different ways, but you've got those two outside guys and throwing Rashan and Gary as well. Those guys are, in essence, almost playing a defensive end position, like you say, in the in the 4-3. So, so it seems very logical. I thought Kenny Clark was actually a lot more active last night than than he was last week. So, yeah, again... So that's a step in the right direction, and we'll get on to the bad, I guess, in a minute. Before we do that, I was talking to someone the other day, and I was saying it's. I think it's much easier for you to go from an outside linebacker position and then putting your hand down than going the other way. So do I think that Rashawn Gary could play defensive end in the 4-3? Yes, I do. I think Preston Smith is big enough – to play defensive end in the 4-3 also. But the guys they have on the roster, I feel like could play 4-3 defensive end. What about the bad defensively? I mean, I feel like there was kind of a lot, even though they only gave up 17. You know, and the majority of that bad obviously was in the in the first half. And so it's difficult to, to not start with Kevin King, isn't it? And it's difficult because I think we're all 
rooting for Kevin King. There's a reason the Packers brought him back, whatever as fans and amateur analysts we might think. There's a reason that the Packers brought him back. There's a reason he's hung around this long in his career. What you can't do ever with Kevin King is leave him one-on-one or trying to cover a receiver 20, 30, 40 yards down the field. So that's an absolute no-no. So whatever system is getting him into that position is clearly not paying to Kevin King's strengths. And it was interesting as the game wore on, they moved him into the slot. Stokes played on the outside. And that may be the way to go. Because let's let's face it, typically in the NFL today, you're starting three corners all the time anyway. You know, if you're looking at bad yesterday, then King is the place that you start. But I, I'm still a believer that the system game plan doesn't necessarily help him or hasn't helped him thus far. You know, he is what he is, Dale. He's not suddenly going to become Deion Sanders next week. He's not Jair Alexander and he is what he is. So I think you have to find a way. If you're going to keep him on the roster and they clearly wanted to do that, you have to find a way to play to his strengths. I totally agree with you. I've said that before. You have to play to his strengths. You have to play to your guys, whoever your guys are on the roster then you have to figure out how you're going to play those guys. Moving Kevin King to the slot, okay, maybe. My concern then is they're going to rub guys off and run them deep. Because across the middle in the wash where it's a little bit slower paced, that's fine for Kevin King. He can have his hands on guys. If it's within the first five yards, that's how he plays football. But if they start running guys out of the slot deep, then you're in the same position you were when he was outside. Only the elite corners, the Jair Alexanders of this world, are going to stick with receivers for five, six, seven, eight seconds down the field. And one of those plays, and I, I think it might have been the big play to, to see early in the game, Jared Goff looked like he had nearly the whole of the first quarter standing back there waiting for somebody to, to get open. Because he and, did. And it's like, you know, you have to be a very, very elite corner, and there's very few of those in, in this league to be able to stick with receivers for that long. Yeah, any quarterback in the league can complete passes when they have that much time to complete passes. Tim Boyle could have come in and looked good against the Packers last night because he had all day to throw the football. I think it is a concern. Panay Sewell is out there, but Taylor Decker was not in the lineup. You get less quarterback hits than the Lions got. Packers had six quarterback hits. The Lions had seven. I would say all day that the Packers line from one side to the other is a bit better right now than Detroit's is. So that leads to where was Rashawn Gary? You know, okay, Zadarius Smith is out and he's a great pass rusher. Where is Rashawn Gary? Where is Preston Smith? I mean, there were a couple flashes, but no consistent pass rush. Or to be fair, my guy, Kenny Clark, very little out of him too, as far as pass rush goes. I thought he played well against the run, but I didn't see Kenny Clark's pushing into the backfield on on a pass rush. I didn't see it. It just wasn't there. If I had to name one big concern for this team right now, offense, defense, special teams, it's that lack of pass rush. And it's because in today's NFL, in fact, in any day's NFL, but this one in particular, if you do not get pressure on the passer, then even the 25th ranked passer in the NFL is going to pick you apart. That's what worries me most out of the two weeks that we've seen so far. so far, I mean, I'm not necessarily talking about racking up five, six, seven sacks. That would be nice. You've got to get in the quarterback's face. You cannot play in this league if you, if, 
if you can't rush the pass. And we'll go into a game against San Francisco where it's the same thing. It's a mediocre quarterback, but he'll look great. Even Jimmy G will look great if he gets to stand back there all day. You know, we mentioned Eric Stokes again. You know, nice performance. Knocked down three passes, I think. Very nice. Looked good playing on the outside. I thought Adrian Amos had a, had a decent game, was, was, pretty, was pretty active, made a number of tackles. Yeah, before we move on to the 49ers, I just have to say this. I feel right now, Corey Bajorquez, or Bajorquez, Bajorquez, there we go. Got it right that time. Bajorquez just wings it. He is just kicking the ball as hard as he can every time. He has no idea where it's going. I mean, he goes one way and then the other. I love it. Just get out there and kick the ball as hard as you can. It seems to be working okay. And the other thing on special teams, your guy, Kylan Hill, really had a nice game returning kicks. And I credit Mo Drayton a little bit too, because that's not just on Kylan Hill. There has to be some scheme involved. Seeing long kickoffs is very rare in Green Bay. And that was nice to see. Lions are not. So the special teams really played pretty good. We will rarely say that. Somebody marked the tape. <laughs> Episode 55, we had something positive to say about the special teams. All right, so before we get on to the 49ers, I will stick the interview with Jamie right here, and then we'll get on to talking about San Francisco. So we have a special guest on The Average Cheese. It's Jamie Cheese, but the queen of Packer Twitter with almost 10,000 <laughs> followers. Her Twitter handle is at Jamie, no last name. I don't know if I should tell everybody that because then she'll definitely go over 10,000. <laughs> anyway, how are you tonight? I'm doing amazing. I'm so happy to be here. So a little background. We had some chats about making money for charity, and that kind of pushed the average cheese towards making money for Habitat for Humanity. So it was Jamie's idea to make money for Habitat and last year we did the Leukemia Lymphoma Society, but I thought since you were doing Habitat for Humanity that we could do it too. So that's kind of why I asked you to be on. So let's talk a little bit about you. So you live in California. How does a person from California, how do you end up a Packer fan? Oh my God. I was just talking about this on Twitter the other day. Uh, somebody was like complaining about how many times people ask that. If I had a frequently asked questions page, that's like the top question that I get. How do, how are you a California Packer fan? So there's like a short version, and a long version. Which one do you want? Either one. It's your forum. The short version is I was watching football. That's literally how it happened. I was just watching football and I fell in love with the Packers. The long story is that I had this PE teacher who in her curriculum, she was teaching us how to play each sport, like football, baseball, basketball. And it was the first time that I understood how to play football. And I would play flag football during PE and like after school for fun. I used to also play soccer. So, I mean, I grew up as a soccer fan in my family. I mean, I'm a Latina. I'm a Latina from El Salvador. I was born here. My parents are Salvadorian. And so soccer is very big in our culture and, and, and in my home. My mom is a huge soccer fan. So I grew up watching soccer. So I really didn't get into football till high school. So I always watched the Super Bowl just, just for the commercials like everyone did, right? Everyone just watches the commercials. But I actually understood what football was about. And I started loving it. I started watching it. And that season, the team that happened to make it to the, to the Super Bowl was the Packers. I had been watching them a little bit, right? Something about them attracted me to them. I remember being at a Super Bowl party and I remember everybody was going for the Steelers. Everyone. I was like, 
no, you know what? I got the Packers. I got the Packers. The Packers are going to win this. And I was going against the grain, against everybody. Everybody thought, no, the Steelers are going to win. And I'm like, I got the Packers. Long story short, the Packers won that Super Bowl. And how great is it that you're like the only one rooting for the team that everyone's rooting against and they win? Huge. So, and then literally that's where my love story with the Packers grew. And the more that I learned about the Packers, the more that I watched the Packers, the more I fell in love with them. And then I became a diehard Packer fan. I bleed green and gold. I really do. I'm so obsessed with them. I'm so obsessed with, 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 like, with like, football. And I don't need the Packers, but like I love the, the sport. And when I love something, I love so hard. And I just like submerge myself in it. And that's why I became a Packer fan. Awesome. I'm glad you just didn't stick to the short story because this would have been a really short interview. Like, oh, I like football. <laughs> the end. Great. You know, Todd and I grew up in Wisconsin, so we were almost born Packer fans. We had very yeah. little choice. When we talked to Peter, interesting to listen to his story, too, because being from England, not even being from this country and being a Packer fan, super cool. So besides that, where you were able to talk shit to Steeler fans at the Super Bowl, what's your favorite Packer moment? Like you have one other than that Super Bowl? That's kind of a cool story, but my favorite Packer moment has to be Miracle in Motown. There's this guy, like Wilbury Draws or something like that. He made this, he like designs like plays he creates them and then he designs them and he like frames them. Anyway, he sent me one one time because I told him my favorite play was the Miracle Motown play. So the play that won that game, he designed it for me and, and sent it to me and like in a photo and I have it framed at my home. Why is that my favorite play? One, it's, it was amazing. It was insane what happened that day because I remember. So what happened was I was at this bar. I, I was in I was in community college. And the game was on and I was like, I need to catch this game. So I caught like maybe, maybe I think I, I came in like the second quarter, I think. And I just found this random bar, the closest bar I can find to my college. And I found a bar and I went in there. There's nobody. There was like maybe seven people, 10 people there at this bar. Some rinky dink bar that was have to play the, the game. And I said, can you please put the volume up for me? Because I really like this. This is my team. I want to watch it. So that they turned it on for me and we were watching the game. Next thing you know, I'm looking at my phone. My phone says zero final. The, it said the final was it's the game was over. But on my TV, I'm seeing the game is not over. Things are still going. Aaron Rodgers is scrambling. There was a face mask that happened. And then he gets another try and then he throws it. Let me tell you that day, everybody in that bar was a Packer fan because it was insane. It was insane. Nobody put it to my phone. The game was over. But then you see that Aaron Rodgers is still going and he throws it and the and he freaking he catches it. He freaking catches it. And I'm just like, I freak out. I'm running all over this, this bar. I'm running over like crying people like, did you see that? Did you see that? Everyone's like, oh my God. Oh my God. Everyone's freaking out with me. And they're like seeing me. They're like so happy with me. I remember driving home and I was just, I was just so happy. I was ecstatic. Just, I couldn't get over it. I couldn't go over it. It was like the most amazing thing. And just, just how it happened and where I was. And none of those people even like cared about football, <laughs> but they were really amazed at what happened. Cause that's how amazing Aaron Rodgers is. And that's how amazing this, this team is. When Todd and I lived in San Diego, we used to have to get up early in the morning because Packers were always on at noon. Cause they sucked back in the early nineties when we lived in San Diego. And we always had to go to champs in mission Valley to watch the games. Cause you know, you can't catch any Packer games on regular TV on the West Coast. Yeah. So how do you watch games? Are there Packer bars in like near you that you can watch them at? Yeah. So PackersEverywhere.com, not sponsored. <laughs> no, PackersEverywhere.com has this really cool site where you can just put your zip code in and you find any Packer bar that's around you. So I just Googled 
my local pecker bar in Los Angeles. And I visited a couple of them there. We have a lot of them I hear actually. And so I would go watch the Packer game at any of the Packer bars in West Hollywood, Culver city, North Hollywood, anywhere. There's one orange County there. You find a Packer bar everywhere in Los Angeles. The Packer community is very huge in California. Southern California specifically. I usually watch my games at the Packer game or I just stream it. I just find some site. Some bootleg streaming place. That you some can- bootleg. Thank God for Twitter because Twitter, I just, I just tweet, Hey guys, I need a link in minutes. I have a link to watch. There's, you just have no excuse not to watch the game. We are recording this on Sunday before the Packers play the Lions. So it won't come out until after that. So let's talk about the upcoming game. Then they play the 49ers, your favorite, your yeah. second favorite team. Eat them with, with, with all my, with all my heart. I'm actually going to that game. Guys, if you're going to be at that game, is it coming out before the game? Yeah. Okay, guys, if you're, if you're at the game, come tailgate with me. We're having a Twitter tailgate. If you're on Twitter, follow me at Jamie, no last name. Uh, we're having a tailgate. So come hang out with us and let's go. And, you know, even if, God forbid we lose, God forbid we lose. I don't know. I can't say if we're going to win this game until I see what happens at this Lions game. Let me just say right now, that game in Jacksonville was a fluke game. The, the freaking Saints just lost seven to like 30 points. I expected that. I expected that to happen. I knew they weren't going to do as well. Everybody was freaking out on Twitter. Let me tell you, the Packers are going to be fine. Okay. I'm waiting to see how the Packers play at this Lions game at home for me to really know how I really feel about how the Packers can play moving forward. It's the Niners game, but I honestly think that they can and have all the ability and the players to beat the Niners. I did a little bit of research, so I know a little bit of their strengths and their weaknesses. As long as our running game is on par, I think that we can really beat them. It's really going to come up to our defense and hopefully Aaron Rodgers have some confidence and hopefully that line holds up for him that he can have some time to do his checkdowns because he did admit to not really taking advantage of those checkdowns for himself. That game was a fluke. And I know that that they'll play a lot better at the sliding scheme. And then I'll have a better idea of how that this Niner scheme is going to, is going to come out. Yeah. I don't know how San Francisco is going to be able to run the football. Raheem Mostert is out. He's on IR now. And I think Trey Sermon got hurt today. So their top two running backs are out. I'm still not going to sleep on the run game for the Niners game. I still think that the Packers really need to tackle. Come on. Packers, please tackle for the love of God for 10 years. I've seen <laughs> it has been t- like 10 years since we've been able to stop. Please. I've been crying about defense. Everyone's been crying about the offense and we need wide receivers. No, we need to stop the run. The defense that we saw against the Bucks, that defense that the Bucks had last year in NFCG, that's what I want. That's what I want for the Packers. Zadarius Smith went on IR for three weeks. That's ugly. I mean, I know he's not a run defender, but we having him the- out. The Ladarius Hamilton guy from from Tampa Bay, actually, right from their squad, it's from so. their practice squad. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe he learned a couple of things or two. Because let me tell you, that freaking defense was suffocating. It was so annoying. I hated them so much. I still hate them. <laughs> I freaking I hate they won today, and I hate Tom Brady because he, he just gets away with everything. But uh, so let's talk a little you know? bit about the charity work that you've done because. Yeah. The reason we, we wanted to get together was to talk about making money for Habitat. And yeah. I know you've done charity work in the past. You want to talk a little bit about that? Well, I grew up going to the church, right? And the church that I grew up going to was the Salvation Army. And the Salvation Army is an organization that 
just does so much for the community. There's so much opportunities to do charity work. Last year, I did a collaboration with the one a community center in Los Angeles where I raffled a jersey to fundraise. We fundraised over $2,000 between Instagram and, and Twitter. We fundraised over $2,000 for the Salvation Army in its community youth center called Red Shield. I actually work for them now. I'm a mariachi vocal instructor for a child mariachi academy. And so I think this year, what I'm going to do, I'm, I'm still going to, I'm going to do the same thing, but I'm actually going to fundraise for our mariachi academy because we need, we need stuff. We need instruments. We need kids needs to have their stuff. Um, it's a very underprivileged community. And I'm just really passionate about working for them because the Salvation Army has done so much for me. So, and I also recently did another fundraiser. I didn't really raffle anything. I was just fundraising for the AIDS Walk LA in October. Actually, AIDS Walk LA culminates and I fundraised five. $500 through my Twitter. I had my own fundraising page. Um, so I'm always down to fundraise. There's no point of you having a following on social media if you're not doing anything with it. If you have a following, do something with it. Make a difference. Be influential in a positive way. There's no point of you having a lot of followers if you're doing nothing. So I really love what you guys are doing. I love that. And, and Habitat is a great organization. It helps build homes for people. And when you told me about this, I was super excited. Of course, I, I absolutely signed up. When you told me what it was about, I was like, sign me up. I can't say no to that. I love to help my community. I love to help people. I'm going to do it, of course. We are going to do another shoe raffle. Last year, because Dale is dumb, he had a pair of shoes that he was donated and they were size 10. So we limited our pool of people who could actually, that wanted to put in money to win these shoes. They're awesome. Mm -hmm. But they were size 10s. So <laughs> if you didn't wear a size 10, it wasn't really going to make any sense for you. So we, we still made about $275 last year for the Leukemia Lymphoma Society. But this year, folks, it will be the size shoe that you wear. Like when you win, we will ask you what size you actually wear. And we'll buy a pair of Air Force Ones so that Dwight from DDGCustoms.com can fix them up into Packer shoes. And then they'll actually be your size. So maybe we'll get more people this year. I hope I win. I'm donating like crazy because I want those shoes. <laughs> the shoes last year were awesome. So that's what we'll do. We're hoping that Jamie will come on once in a while and maybe she'll put some stuff on Twitter and Instagram and all those places of social media and we will make some money for Habitat. There's something I'm good at is promoting people. I'm horrible at promoting myself, but I love and I'm so good at promoting other people. You tell me I will promote the hell out of you. I will do it. <laughs> okay. And Jamie just cussed, so we will put a quarter in the jar for Habitat, so she just made us another quarter. That's the baby cuss. Cussing is cussing. We take it all. So <laughs> anything else before we let you go you'd like to talk about? Yeah. No, that was all. Awesome. Thank you so much for letting me blabber. Thanks for coming on. So let's get on with our game that we have this week against San Francisco. In fact, Jamie said she will be at that game. She was just in Jacksonville. I don't know where she's getting all this money from. <laughs> <laughs> but she was in Jacksonville like last week, but she'll be at that game. So if you're in San Francisco, say hello to her. I'm a little concerned about this game. I'll just start off with that. Two years ago will always reside in my mind somewhere. I don't know that this defense and the way the 49ers play has changed enough to make me feel less scared. So what's a key? What do you have for a key? Let's start with offense first, though. What's the key on offense for the Packers? For me, it's to build on what they did this weekend and keep keep mixing up the offense. I absolutely think they have to run enough to keep the 49ers honest, to keep 
Boza in particular off the pass rush and it's the old cliche you know use the run to set up the to set up the pass but I think that's really true this week I do believe that the Packers can put points on the board because I think the Packers offense if it's playing as the Packers offense that we saw for a while on Monday night and last year's Packers offense they have the capability to to put points on on anybody without trying to jump the gun from shocking week one into a much better week two. I definitely believe the offense will score points. Defensively, again, laboring the same point. They have to get pressure on the passer. And I know we want to stop the run and, and, and all of that good stuff, but even Jimmy Garoppolo will pick the Packers apart if they do not get pressure on the passer. You've got Debo Samuel, you've got George Kittle. Those guys haven't yet broken out this year. Those are breakouts waiting to happen. I've got faith in the Packers' secondary. Okay, there's one or two things that we talked about with Kevin King, but generally faith in the Packers' secondary to be able to cover guys, but they're not going to cover them all day if the Packers can't get a pass rush. So I I think that pass rush is key to winning this game. You know, for me, offensively, in week one against the Saints, it was Cam Jordan that we were worried about, right? That was their best defensive lineman. Cabin Jordan didn't do jack shit in that game. It was Marcus Davenport that provided most of the pressure for them. So Nick Boza does scare me, but he's playing right defensive end, and that's going to end up against Elton Jenkins, and I'll take that matchup. As good as Boza is, I feel good with Jenkins out there. It's these two guys I've never heard of, Javon Kinlaw and DJ Jones, who play defensive tackle for the 49ers, that make me worried. Rookie center, rookie right guard. If Runyon plays left guard again, he had, what, one start last year? You have very little experience on the interior of your offensive line, and I think that's where the key is. If those guys can keep the middle clean, then I think you're okay. You raise a good point about Kinlaw in particular. So first-round draft pick is a huge guy. You know, for, for a defensive, he's 6'5", 320 pounds, that kind of area. And already, he's got sacks this season. He's tipped a number of passes. has even got an interception, I believe. You're right. And I think the worry is how well Royce Newman holds up and thought he struggled again yesterday. Now, again, this is a guy that's only started two games in the NFL. We shouldn't judge him by perhaps the standards of, of Elton Jenkins, who came in and was really good immediately you know this is a guy that was a mid-round draft pick for for a reason it's early days and sometimes you have to bear with these guys and hope by they get to the eighth ninth tenth eleventh twelfth game that they're much better and and you see that you know you saw it with Bakhtiari's career for example you've got bear with these guys but that is potentially where where the weakness could be yeah but we're Packer fans (laughs) we want right now I want right now I want greatness immediately I do not want to wait for Royce Newman to be great Although that's the trajectory of all players, right? They don't start off great most of the time. I wonder what Dennis Kelly provides. Because is your best line Jenkins, Patrick, Myers, Turner, Kelly? I really worry that the lack of experience on that interior line is going to cause us problems in some game. You know, if Royce Newman can make it through a couple games and he gets better, now you've got, I don't want to call it a seasoned veteran, but you got a guy that's played NFL snaps. He's starting to figure it out, and maybe that'll make him greater in the long term than replacing him with experience now. Yeah, I would imagine that's definitely part of thinking. I think the other thing to throw in there is the year that Billy Turner 
started at right guard, which yeah, was, it was fucking well, terrible. 2019, he wasn't great. Um, <laughs> Just being so very think, kind when you said he wasn't great. So I think that probably plays into it. I think the thing with Dennis Kelly is interesting. I, I kind of see Dennis Kelly, he appears to be this year's Rick Wagner, doesn't he? He appears to be the guy that, that if there was an injury, he's going to come in and, and play, somehow destined to be a backup all season. But Wagner played. Now, granted, there were injuries, but Wagner yeah. played quite a bit. And I think Kelly will play if if Turner were to get injured. Heaven forbid it. You know, if, if Elton Jenkins were to get injured, Kelly comes in, whether that's Turner moving to left tackle and Kelly coming in at right tackle. So I, I think he's there and ready ready to play. I just um I just think that they, right now, I'm picking up on your point. I think I, they think they've got their best five out there and time will tell. And I think also there's always a, touch of where are we going to be in week 10 and week 11 week 12 because if Royce Newman's the guy then he has to play at some point and I guess you're let's get through the teething problems if that's what the team and the guys that see him every day believe that those that those are and by the middle of the season he'll be playing at a level that you hope to be playing all season so you sort of touched on it already that you think the pass rush getting a pass rush this week is one of the keys on defense and I can't argue with that of course I'm just going to go back to it. They have to stop the run. They have, The line play is the key, right? It's, it doesn't matter if it's run or pass. Did you see Ben Fennel put it on Twitter today? The Detroit line absolutely obliterated Tyler Lancaster on one play. It looked like he was standing straight up, and they shot him out of a cannon backwards. Ugh. TJ Slayton played six snaps in the game. Six. Yeah. It can't think, be worse. He cannot be worse than Tyler Lancaster. He can. And I think that's one of the surprises so far is how little DJ Slayton's played. Now, you have to assume that that's because they're seeing stuff that we don't see. I don't know. I'm guessing, you know, it may be that he gets gassed after three plays. I don't don't know what, what, it, what it is. But, but I think we'd all hoped that TJ Slayton would play more than he more than he has played because we want to upgrade that line like we've wanted to upgrade it for about the last 15 years. We actually um, drafted a dude and he plays six plays in week two. <laughs> now, granted, he's not a first round pick because I don't know how he can be worse. And Jack Heflin, again, did not play. The worry that I've always had about, I guess, the later years of Ted Thompson, God rest him, and it was a nice tribute that the Packers paid to him, by the way, Monday night. But the later years of Ted and, and Gooty so far, one of the issues that I've had, and again, you know, I preface this with the fact that they know far more about the players than than I ever will, but they seem to put a high value on the Packers' own players, a higher value than us fans put on certain players. And it's a criticism that I have of them, but again, you know, I hold my hands up and say they know far more than, than I do. I mean, that's what we hope and pray for every week, right? That those guys who we entrust with our happiness every Sunday <laughs> know yeah, I, more than I do. And obviously in that, I'm not talking about the superstars, the great players. I'm talking right. about that second or third level of player that they seem to think are better than us amateurs. Just talking about the 49ers, I've always found this interesting because we always think of this spell of the 49ers under Kyle Shanahan as a very successful spell and three of their four seasons under Shanahan they've had losing records and people don't see that you know Shanahan even with going 2 and 0 this season is 31 and 35 as the 49ers head coach 49ers have gone 6 and 10 4 and 12 then they had that breakout year 13 and 3 then 6 and 10 again under Shanahan so this isn't some juggernaut 49ers 
team like it was in the 1980s by any stretch of the imagination. This is a team that over that period of time is less than 500. But I think it's just these flashbacks that we have. We can't get the Colin Kaepernick-led 49ers, <laughs> and we can't get the abuse we took from Raheem Mostert and all those other clowns where they ran all over the top of us two years ago. Like, it's really hard to get that out of your head because it's like it, this PTSD thing that I have every time we play the 49ers and see those ugly maroon and whatever color that is uniform. It, it is, but in my, in my head, I have the nine, 1995 divisional playoff game. I have the 1996 Monday night game when... Don Beebe caught that 65-yard pass down the left sideline. Side of course, he wasn't, he wasn't touched when he was down. <laughs> <laughs> you know he um, was. <laughs> you know, you have that divisional playoff game in, in 96, played in the mud and the slop and Edgar Bennett running and slipping and sliding and whatever all over the place and Desmond Howard's punt returns and, and whatever else. And then the 1997 championship game, out there in San Francisco. Those are the 49ers games I have in my mind. I don't remember any of those ones that you alluded to with. May or may not have happened. Yeah. You've already repressed those. Good for you. I need to (laughs) seek some therapy so that I can repress those memories too. Every year before we play the 49ers, those games should come on television. And some local station should just put those games on TV to remind the Packer fans like you and me. Well, more me, not you, because you already have them in your head that we've beaten up on those 49ers a few times. Do you happen to know what the season series is? Yeah, the Packers are ahead in the series. Yeah, they're about they're about five games ahead in the series. So they've, so they've played 70-odd times, and the Packers are just ahead. And like lots of these series, it's gone in ebbs and flows. In recent years, in the last decade or so, the 49ers have pretty much been on top. There's been two or three Packers wins in there, but most of them have been the 49ers. But then the, the period from kind of the mid-90s all the way through the first decade of the 2000s was nearly all all Packers. So, yeah, it's been a pretty close rivalry going all the way back to 1950 when the 49ers came into the, came into the league. Obviously, the Packers on top in the 60s. The 49ers were on top in the 50s when the Packers were really bad. Close, close series. So before we go, it's time to make a prediction. You go first. All right. So this game scared me from the beginning of the season. In fact, before the season, I caught this as a possible loss. I'm not sure who the Packers are right now. I don't know if it's 38-3 blowout loss or beat up on the Lions 35-17. I don't know where we are or if we're somewhere in the middle. If we're somewhere in the middle, I think that might be better than the San Francisco 49ers right now. They're really beat up in their running back room. And Jimmy Garoppolo, who many thought would be very good, isn't. I think he is a middle-of-the-road quarterback. So I see this as a Packer win, although I think it will be low scoring, which I think actually would be a good thing for the Packers to slug one out and win. So I will go 21-17 Packers. I'm really torn on this because I believe the Packers' offense move pretty well. I think the 49ers defense is is good, but I think the Packers offense is is good enough assuming that it plays like it played Monday night, doesn't lay an egg like it did the previous week. But I cannot get out of my head the lack of pass rush. I just cannot get that out of my head. I think the Packers win this game if they generate a half decent pass rush. I haven't yet got any confidence that they will. And I think the 49ers win this game 28-27. 
It wouldn't surprise me one bit. I guess we'll find out. Well, big fear is I could just picture it now. Jimmy Garoppolo standing back there all day, you know, and he's not going to pass for a million yards or anything silly, but it'll be, but it, I fear it will be enough. But obviously okay. I hope not. Thank you for listening to episode 55, the Michael Hunt version, the average cheese podcast. Go pack, go. Go pack, go.